Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Scott Schaefer, in for Mina Kim. Coming up, California used to be seen as the place where dreams come true. But a new poll finds the California dream is a bit frayed. More than 70% of Californians say they're happy living in the Golden State, but 4 in 10 are considering leaving. Top reasons for the unhappiness include the cost of living and the state's political direction. But as you might imagine, there are big differences in feelings about the Golden State based on age, race, income, and political affiliation. We'll unpack the poll's findings with the consortium of folks who put it together, and we want to hear from you. Why do you stay in California? Why might you leave? That's next after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Scott Schaefer, and today for Mina Kim. Well, when I moved to California four decades ago, I was attracted by the weather, of course, and the coast, the opportunities, and really the sheer beauty of the state, and especially San Francisco and the Bay Area. But of course, California has changed a lot since then. And according to a new statewide poll, 70% of Californians still like living here, but four in 10 of us say we're considering leaving. How Californians feel about the state is affected by things like age, political party, race, and income level. And this hour, we're going to unpack the findings with three people deeply involved in creating the poll and interpreting its findings. Joining us, Dan Schnur, professor at the Annenberg School of Communications at USC and also at UC Berkeley, he teaches. And he helped direct the June 2023 California Community Poll, as well as previous ones. Dan Schnur, good to have you with us, as always. God, it's great to hear from you. Thank you so much for having me on. Also with us, Helen Torres. She is CEO of Hispanas Organized for Political Equality, or HOPE, if you prefer. Helen Torres, welcome. Thank you so much, Scott, for the opportunity. And Nancy Yap. Uh, she is executive director of the Center for Asian Americans United for Self-Empowerment, or CAUSE. Nancy Yap, good morning to you as well. Good morning. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, you know, I always like to begin with sort of a big picture uh, on things to get everybody on the same page. And Dan, this survey, as I mentioned, is called the California Community Poll. Uh, it, it is sponsored by a consortium of local groups down there in Southern California affiliated with the LA Times. What is the purpose of it? What are you trying to measure? Well, Scott, it's worth noting uh, that the poll that we're talking about today is the latest in a series of statewide surveys that cause that hope and that the LA Urban League, the largest African-American community organization in Southern California, have sponsored for the last three years. Our first poll uh, was fielded shortly after the tragic death of 
of George Floyd back in 2020. So we've been doing this for three years now. And Cause and Hope and Urban League deserve a tremendous amount of credit, not just for polling on questions relating to race relations and discrimination, but also, and you know this from your previous career, Scott, the importance of oversampling underrepresented communities. Most statewide polls are not able to dig deep into the different attitudes and beliefs of these communities. And with this poll through oversampling, we're able to get a much richer opinion of how the state's Black community, Latino and Latina community, and Asian Pacific communities feel about these issues. Yeah. And well, of course, the top line, what the media kind of glommed onto is what I mentioned at the beginning, which is that 71% of Californians are pretty happy living here, uh, you know, 27%, not too happy or unhappy, but that 40% who say, I'm considering leaving. Do you feel, I mean, there were a lot of questions in the survey, many, many questions on many topics, and you dug deep, uh, and we'll talk about all of that, but I'm wondering if you feel like that is the appropriate top line. Obviously, it's the one that's kind of sexy and easy to talk about, but like for you, what was the most important finding? Well, I I would broaden that point just a little bit, because what I saw in these results, Scott, is two competing impulses for a lot of Californians. On one hand, a large plurality of the state's population, as you mentioned, 40 percent, worry that the state is either unaffordable, the cost of living is increasing, or for other reasons are considering leaving. But the other thing to remember is, particularly among these communities, is the pull to stay is so profound. And the state's culture, the state's diversity, the state of California's race relations, particularly when compared to the state of race relations at the national level, has brought a lot of Californians to the conclusion that even if it is expensive to live here, they're incentivized to try to stay because of what the state represents to them. Yeah, there's a lot of push and pull that is uh, really comes out in this poll. And Helen Torres, let me ask you, um, same question that I asked Dan, what, what for you was the most important finding? Or, you know, I'm sure maybe there were several, but, you know, what, what comes to mind? Um, some of the top line that came to my mind was truly about looking at the question around, are you happy living in this state? So it wasn't just a question about how do you feel about the state? It was asking purposely, are you happy? And to have over 71% of individuals saying that they're happy living here, I thought that was a tremendous place to start. When we crafted that question, one of the key things that we were trying to get at was, is there a sense of belonging? Is there a sense of community in California? And obviously from the reaction, not only of that question, but the alignment of our values um, that really comes out of why we want to stay in California, the high di- the value of diversity, the value of education, and the a value of opportunity that we still see in the state um, across race lines and ethnicity really came through. So to me, that was the headline hmm. was to say um, we're starting at a place here in California where there's strong alignment around our values and that we're happy to be here. That is not to um, overlook the economic crisis the state is going through and the true economic disparity that we're seeing in our communities. Well, yeah. And uh, obviously, big picture, are you happy? That's one question. But are you happy about the state of schools? Are you happy about the cost of living? Are you happy about how much you're paying for housing? When you dig in, you get very different responses, right? 
Yes, you, you absolutely see that people are dissatisfied. We don't ask if they're happy with those dates, but we hear that from them clearly that they're dissatisfied with the state of our schools. But, you know, back to that push and pull uh, piece of the conversation, it's interesting. They're dissatisfied with our schools, but they still see California as providing great opportunity and, and great opportunities when it comes to our education and the value of um, across the board around place around education. Yeah. How I interpret that, Scott, is that we have a lot of good work ahead of us. But at least we're working from a platform and from the from the same page, if you will, of how we want to move forward. Yeah. Nancy, what would you add to what le- uh, leaped out at you in these answers and, and the questions and the way they were framed, which, of course, you and Helen had a lot to do with? Sure. I mean, I think for the Asian and Pacific Islander communities, uh, there were some trends for us that I think really One, that we are not just happy, uh, our community showed up as the least interested in moving by a few percentage points, Um, but I think also very high in hope that we will be accepted here in California or do feel accepted, which I think even on the race relations numbers, um, uh, from a neighborhood perspective, there was a lot more feeling that it was better, right? And I think what Helen is saying about being happy, but also like the questions around what were critical that could be better. Sometimes just knowing that everyone wants to be here and sees hope in change and what could be our future here um, kind of brings us to the difficult conversations of how it could be better. Yeah. And we're going to definitely want to get into that as well. Dan, I don't know if you, I mean, 71% happy 40% 40% thinking of leaving, obviously a little bit of contradiction in there or, you know, cognitive dissonance. I don't want to hide what you want to call it. But my question, I wonder if you have any sense of that num- those numbers, are those, how do those compare with other states? Do you have any sense? I don't know if a poll like this is done in Texas or Florida or Utah or Nevada. Well, it's, it's, it's a great question, Scott. And I will tell you that I actually did some research after this poll came out to see how we fared on a comparative basis. And there really isn't reliable polling, I must I must tell you. What I will do though, for you and for your listeners, Scott, is I'll offer a bit of a cautionary note about that 40% number, because as you correctly noted, it does tend to stand out and maybe obscure what we felt were the most important uh, aspects of the poll. Is As you know, um, and as most of your listeners know, after every presidential election, no matter who wins, a Republican or a Democrat, a lot of our friends in the other party say, that's it, I'm moving to Canada. <laughs> and it very rarely happens. So when I look at a question like that, are you considering leaving the state? The way I translate it is, are you satisfied here? And what we heard from a lot of people is, I'm not satisfied here for a lot of reasons, but there's some really important things that keep me here. And that gets back to the qualities that and in and, and, and lures that yeah. Helen and Nancy have been talking about. Yeah. Well, Helen, let me dig into that a little bit because, um, you know, on things like affordability, uh, you know, there were maybe some of the communities of color uh, who responded were maybe a little more concerned than more well-to-do folks. But there is that push and pull. And I'm wondering, you know, from people you know, in the Latino community, like what are what how do they how do they process these pushes and pulls? Like what keeps them here or what makes them think about leaving? Right. So I think what keeps us here as a Latina is the the overwhelming sense for the most part of acceptance. 
that we are part of neighborhoods and part of communities that are reflective of our values and of our culture, and that that is prized and um, is part of the California story, right? Especially being a Latina. Um, so that's what's keeping us here is, is I would also say is touching upon the California dream, right? Being made up of a community that was here from before this was part of the United States, as well as a community made up of a lot of immigrants. The California dream is very strong. And I think that comes out in this poll in a variety of different ways. When you see the value of opportunity and this real belief that California still provides opportunity. Now, you juxtapose that against the economic realities, especially what Latinas reported in this poll. I think it was close to over 70 percent of them, you know, honestly said that they couldn't make ends meet monthly. Uh, so that is of concern. You you know, I, I, I love to be a little bit Pollyanna. Obviously, I run an organization by the name of Hope, so I'm always going to be very <laughs> But at the same time, we have to look at the reality of the economic crisis that is happening in our communities. And for Latinas, the pay equity gap and the sense uh, and the self-reporting of discrimination in the workplace has to be something we need to address and ensure that we have strong solutions. Yeah. And of course, things like the cost of housing, uh, the less money you make, the larger percentage of your take-home pay you're going to be spending on rent or mortgage, uh, you know, shelter. Absolutely. And and you see this as a real concern in among Latinas who, you know, I, I always say we, we're big dreamers um, and we're very optimistic, but we also have a sense of, pra- of being very practical mm-hmm. about the realities. And the practicality comes for us to be fighters to ensure that our schools are strong mm-hmm. and that are really truly creating those opportunities for our children. Yeah. Latinas make, you know, our mothers to 50% of the kids here in California. Yeah. All right. Let's hold that thought. There's so much more to dig into. And we want to hear from you, of course. Uh, what are you, what keeps you here? What makes you think about leaving and what would make it easier for you to stay? We're already getting a lot of comments from our listeners, but you can call us if you like at 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786, or find us on Twitter and Facebook, Instagram, we're at KQED Forum, or if you like, you can email us, it's forum at kqed.org. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. And welcome back to Forum. Scott Schaefer here today from Mina Kim. We're talking about the results of a survey released last month called the California Community Poll, finding, among many other things, that 70% of Californians say they're happy living in the Golden State, but 4 in 10 also considering leaving. We're talking with Dan Schnur, 
a professor at Annenberg's School of Communication at USC, also teaches at UC Berkeley. Uh, he helped direct the poll both this year and previous years as well. Helen Torres uh, with Ismanas Organized for Political Equality, or HOPE, and Nancy Yap, Executive Director for the Center for Asian Americans United for Self-Empowerment, or CAUSE. They also were part of this community consortium. And of course, we do want to hear from you. We're getting a lot of uh, comments already, uh, written comments in so- from social media, but give us a call as well. We'd love to hear from you about your experience. Maybe you're new to California. People are moving here. It's not everybody's leaving. Uh, Or have you recently left or thinking of doing so? 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. Nancy Yap, let me ask you, um, there has been in the last several years, certainly during the pandemic, uh, a a very disturbing uptick in anti-Asian hate crimes. And I'm wondering if you fashioned any you know particular questions about that in this survey or were struck by any of the results especially uh, in among Asian American uh, respondents sure I think for us just knowing that our community um, is really not feeling safe uh, the last few polls that we did do uh, did show just an increase of concern around being a target for um, potential hate, uh, both physically and verbally. And I think that safety is or was seen as one of the top reasons um, why we would want to be here. And I think this is also a national conversation about where Asian and Pacific Islander communities feel safe um, and that there are measures being taken here in California um, that help us not just have the dialogue, educate about our communities and the diversity of our communities, Um, but give us a platform to talk about how we can feel safer um, and where uh, we are vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that that is an important part of building the solution. So the data really showed, one, it's important to us, and it should be a part of the conversations uh, with not just electeds, but also in our communities, making sure that our communities do feel safe. Let me read some of the listener comments. Uh, one listener writes, I was born in Iran, lived in California, Missouri, Illinois, and then back to California for the last 25 years. I'm definitely going to stay. Can't beat the weather, culture, access to nature, and overall environment for having kids. There's much to do about California's decline with the data taken out of context or manipulated. Also, and I got to read this, also KQED being our local NPR station doesn't hurt. Love that. Um, And then uh, also Vanessa writes, I'm not leaving. I love California. We have it all, mountain, desert, valley, forest, beaches, and agriculture. I love being able to go to Disney or Universal with my kids one week and museums and science centers the next. We also have a diversity of people, cultures, and foods that is unmatched. Um, that is for sure. And then we have some, you know, some other comments on people leaving. Uh, Jason tweets, I left California because it's impossible to buy a home big enough to raise a family. The public schools are subpar. Crime is getting worse. And even if I could afford a house, I'd be afraid of an earthquake or fire destroying it. I shouldn't laugh. We're all living on the fault line here. Um, and thankfully, he writes, uh, remote work lets us live in lovely rural Connecticut. There you go. Dan Schner, um, you, ha- you do have several years of data now, and, and of course, this has been done right in the teeth of the pandemic. What impact do you think the pandemic has had uh, in terms of these data points and what has changed? Um, first of all, Scott, I owe you a huge apo- and your colleagues a huge apology. When we crafted the poll, we completely neglected to ask people if KQED <laughs> magnets of K-pop people in the state. Next time. And I have no idea that you would have received the overwhelming majority <laughs> support for that. Um, There's always 2024, Dan. Okay, 
subtle, but 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 but, but received. <laughs> um, what I would say is, looking back at three years of polling, Scott, is there's been a significant drop off in how people feel about a range of public policy challenges that the state has faced on criminal justice and public safety, on education, on a number of other issues as well, we saw an immense drop off between 2020, just as the pandemic was getting underway, and 2022, when it had not completely, of course, but largely passed. In our most recent poll uh, earlier this summer, we saw that Californians' attitudes about that range of issues really hasn't improved. And so even though for most of us, the pandemic is no longer the kind of daily challenge that it was in the past, it's pretty clear that there's a post-COVID hangover, if you will. And a lot of Californians who were much more optimistic in the spring of 2020 are still regaining those feelings. And that looks like it might take a while. Yeah. All right. I'm going to give out the phone number again and then go to some calls. Again, it's 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. And let's start in Richmond, I assume California, not Virginia. Noah, you're next. Hi, thanks. Yes, I'm in California. Um, I grew up in the Bay Area, really loved it here, left for college and some work, came back after about a decade. Um, and I still love it. There's so many unique things about this place and about this state. Um, but as a young person, there is no way I can see myself ever owning property or affording to raise children here. And as someone who's hoping to do that in the next couple of years, you know, I already I make just less than six figures and it's very difficult to make ends meet in the Bay Area. Um, it's certainly better in other places of the state. But the question is then, you know, we're always limited by the work we do. Right. Mm. Um, and I see much better opportunities for myself, a much better balance of cost of living uh, farther north. So I'll probably be one of those people Oregonians and Washingtonians complain about. Um, but yeah, I think um, the state is just the state has a very kind of neoliberal attitude when it comes towards property, and um, I think that's that's not a good trend for young people. So no, you would rather live in Oregon or Washington than move to say I don't know, pick a place, Fresno or Riverside. Yeah, you know, like I said, we're all limited by the kind of work we do. And while there are some jobs that I could find in those areas, um, they would pay a lot less than what I can do in the Bay Area. Uh, when I look at jobs, the combination of, you know, distance to that work and cost of living is much better north of here. And, um, you know, I, I know that's different for every person depending on their job training. Hmm. Um, but I spent, I spent, you know, 15 years getting the credentials and experience I need. And uh, there are a lot of places I can work, but in California, the equation just doesn't work out. Yeah. Helen Torres, um, I'm wondering, you know, what you're hearing in, in your community, especially intergenerational conversations, because, you know, there is already a, a, a big wealth gap in the country, but also in California, especially. And, you know, it is very difficult for people with young families like Noah to buy a place. They Maybe they'd like to stay and be near their families. What are you hearing uh, about those, you know, from like parents and kids or grandkids and how they're thinking about this? Well, I think what we're seeing in the Latino community is really um, something that we've always valued is intergenerational living. So a lot of us are, you know, not only have our kids, but we have our parents living with us and we're combining the incomes to make this a, a livable proposition 
of having our own home that, you know, that it doesn't work for everybody, but it definitely seems to work for Latinos. Um, so we get creative. You know, when I hear Noah speak and I truly relate to his um, to his situation in so many ways, I, I think is is it's a real call of action to our elected officials and to our business community to solve this issue of housing and to ensure that everyone that has the um, the dream to own a home, um, that we have a pathway to it. And we need to build more homes here. We need to have an, um, an environment in which we can fulfill these dreams, not only of home ownership, but of being innovators and bringing innovation to the state. Yeah. Noah, thanks so much for the call. Really appreciate that. We have a comment from Chris who writes, I'm a fourth generation Californian on my mother's side, making my grandchildren the sixth. I can't imagine living anywhere else. The high cost of living is the only thing that will send my children and or their kids out of state. Young families are struggling to survive economically. Dan Schnur, this, of course, you know, brings in a p- policy questions. I mean, California for decades has not been building enough housing. Um, it does seem that this governor and this legislature and some specific legislators like Scott Weiner, state senator from the Bay Area from San Francisco, uh, are really trying to address this to make it to become more aggressive and make it easier to build more housing of all kinds. Um, is it too late? I mean, do you think that p- policy changes can really help people like Noah who want to stay here uh, but just don't think they can cut it with the cost of housing? Uh, of course, policy changes can help. But I think it's worth remembering, and this is a point that uh, the Governor Newsom himself makes fairly regularly, is we didn't get into this hole overnight. This has been a few decades of ignoring the affordable housing needs of Californians and the policy changes while necessary. And the legislature deserves credit for taking even partial steps in the right direction. It's going to be a while before we get out of this. And so I think for an individual like your caller, there may be two things going on in their mind. Number one, is there something tangible that's been done to make it easier to stay here? Some type of loan, some type of grant, some type of uh, external support? Or alternatively, do I see my decision make my uh, elected officials, my elected representatives making decisions that even if they're not going to pay off tomorrow or next week or next month, they're heading in the right direction? which is going to give me the confidence to stick it out through the short-term challenges in order to enjoy all the things I like so much about living here. Yeah. Another listener writes on Instagram, I just left, but I miss my friends in the Bay desperately. I'm in North Carolina now. It's perfectly beautiful here, but I love the Bay Area and my friends. I can't afford to live there, but I want to go back. I can't stand it. Uh, And then another listener writes on Instagram, nope, I love my adopted state and my adopted hometown, San Jose. And yes, uh, I'm a native New Yorker, as am I, by the way. Buffalo, Buffalo guy, Buffalo Bills suffering, long-suffering fan here. Uh, Dan Schneider, you know, and I want to ask you, know, you, Helen, and Nancy, all, all the same question, which is one of the interesting questions in the survey was, is, is do you think California has overcorrected and gone too far in giving people equal rights? And the answer was pretty divided. Uh, 47% agreed with that notion, 46% disagreed. Um, let me begin with you, Helen. What do, what do you make of that divide? Because in fact, one of the big pulls for a lot of people is that sense of belonging. And that's part of what that question is getting at. Um, yeah. You know, I think that's a really interesting question because, you know, when I think about it, I'm like, how can you ever overcorrect to make sure that people have equal rights? But um, I, obviously there, there's others that don't agree with my my way of thinking. 
this is what I do know about that um, finding in the survey. There's a huge generational divide. Older people really truly believe that there is an overcorrection and younger people really believe that we haven't gone far enough yet. Hmm. So what does that mean for a state that has such a diversity of when it comes not only to ethnicity and race, um, but it means that we have to look to what our future is going to look like. And I, I, I get a lot of um, enthusiasm of with young people who really truly want to make this state an equal rights state, a state that really does value to ensure that everyone has, you know, what we want and that's to the right to pursue happiness and to, to feel valued and belonging. So, um, I, I see a lot of hope again in that result of how young people are seeing the the fight that we have ahead of us. Dan, you know, uh, we haven't delved into it much here yet, but there is a big disparity in responses based on party affiliation. You know, you, when you ask that classic question, is California on the right track or the wrong track? Huge majority of Republicans say wrong track and, you know, opposite for Democrats. Um, uh, you know, I'm wondering, how do you, how do you, how does that fit into this question of whether California has overcorrected and gone too far? Uh, I'm, I'm guessing if you looked at the crosstabs, you're going to see a lot of Republicans, maybe more white respondents saying, agreeing with that statement. Well, your your instinct on this is is exactly right, Scott. I guess I'd make a couple of I guess I'd make a couple of quick points on this. One, what we saw from Republicans and self-described conservatives, for those who are interested in leaving the state is they were motivated by different reasons. The majority of Republicans and conservatives who said they wanted to leave uh, did not talk as much about the cost of living and about affordability, um, but talked more generally about a broader disagreement on political and policy matters. So Republicans only make up 25% of the state, but that's 9.5 million people. And a much larger percentage of them said that they would like to leave but because of their policy and, and political concerns. Your instinct is also right. Uh, white voters, number one, tend to be older. And number two, a larger percentage of them, though not a majority, tend to be Republicans. And they were the most likely to say it, talk about this overcorrection. But what I will mention is that while to break down these numbers by racial and ethnic heritage, 53% of whites uh, said that they believe that the state has overcorrected. Um, and again, that's a much larger number of Republicans than Democrats. And that's down slightly from last year. Last year, we saw that number at 61 percent. Hmm. But while the numbers are lower, this isn't a unique something unique to, to white Californians. Twenty nine percent of African-American voters in California felt that the state, the country is overcorrected. Forty four percent of Latinos made that point and 48 percent of Asian Pacific Islanders. Once again, you see a, a considerable generational skew on this, but why those numbers are driven primarily by older white voters, it's not an exclusive trend. Yeah. Nancy Yap, what do you see in the response to that question and why, why was it important to ask it? I think it's just to get a sense of where all of our communities are. I know for the Asian and Pacific Islander communities around overcorrection, there are other factors that play into it, including our histories as 
um, from immigration to international experiences around what California offers. And I think it's that balance of when you're pushing too far. I would say that what I appreciate about what Helen is sharing about the divide generationally, I also believe that our youth have a language um, for what to ask for. Um, there is something about navigating the system and what is possible. Uh, I know that is a lot of why CAUSE does a lot of education work around um, how policy works. And I believe that part of having a voice in this and believing uh, in what can be changed is about having the language and ability to navigate it. Um, and I think that that what for me I saw is that a lot of our communities want the same things and value the same things. Um, and I thought that was an important part of the yeah. conversation. All right, let's bring another caller in, Elena, up in Santa Rosa. We're coming up on a break in a little bit, but uh, what, what's on your mind? Um, so I'm a native North Bay, born and raised, and uh, my husband and I moved back up here when we got married. And after the most recent fires in 2020, my parents were really interested in moving north up to Oregon or Washington. But my husband has lived here for almost 30 years now, but um, he came without papers. And so, you know, we told them we wouldn't be we wouldn't consider moving because he feels comfortable and safe living here, you know, not having papers. Mm -hmm. And so we can't really consider going somewhere else. Interesting. So there's that mixed immigration status. And Helen, that is not unusual. I mean, I imagine there's a lot of families, especially with where there's a dreamer involved, who the kids that came over uh, when they were young. Uh, and that's that's a real a real issue, as Elena described it. Well, we we know that um, across the board, not only in Latino communities, but Asian Pacific Islander communities, and even some African American communities, immigration is a key factor of how we live our day to day around policies that, quite frankly, are not reflective of the values of Californians, but are you know what we see in the federal government is not helping us at all with any kind of solutions. Yeah. So um, California is a place that is very welcoming to immigrants and that it's reflected in the diversity um, of why we select diversity as one of our key values. Yeah. And at the same time, and you know, we have to come up, we're coming up on a break, so I have to let you go, Elena, but thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, you know, things like the sanctuary policy that California has adopted is probably a push uh, for Republican voters and others who disagree with that. We can talk about that maybe after the break. Join us if you would. Give us a call at 866-733-6786. 866-733-6786 or find us on social media. We're at KQED Forum. Join us. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. And welcome back to Forum. Scott Schaefer here today for Mina Kim. We're talking about the results of the California Community Poll, a statewide survey finding, among other things, that 70% of Californians say they're happy living in the Golden State, but 4 in 10 considering leaving. And we'd love to hear from you. What are your thoughts about that very question? Why are you here? Why did you leave? Why are you thinking of leaving? Give us a call at 866-733-6786. We're talking with Dan Schnur, professor at the Annenberg School of Communications at USC. Also, Helen Torres, CEO of Hispanas, Organized for Political Equality. And Nancy Yap, executive director of the Center for Asian American United for Self-Empowerment, or CAUSE. Um, Again, the number, if you want to join us, 866-733-6786. We do have a lot of listener comments that have come in through social media. Uh, Elena writes, I love living in California, flaws and all. I moved here over 30 years ago and moved out of California during this period for about eight years and regretted it. And then Edward writes, I'm a 61-year-old engineer close to retirement. My retirement plan is to sell my Bay Area home and move to a state without income tax, most likely Washington State. I feel that California wastes a great deal of of the income they collect. The roads are a mess. Homelessness is rampant. And all I hear is talk from politicians when confronting a drowning man. They do a wonderful job of describing the color of the water. Uh, When I retire, he writes, I'll be in the 9 to 10% tax bracket, and I would rather use that money for retirement than give it to the state. Dinschner, as somebody who has been steeped in the world of politics for a long time, uh, that is a sentiment shared by a lot of people. And we saw that in the, the answers to the question, is California on the right track, wrong track? A lot of people feeling we're on the wrong track. And yet, as you know, it's been how many years? 2006 was the last time a Republican won a statewide office, and his name was Schwarzenegger, along with Steve Poisner. Um, why haven't Republicans been able to take advantage of what many see as, you know, a dysfunction in the state of California. This is a conversation that could probably take up <laughs> an entire hour of your program, if not if not more. But as you know, Scott, but in the interest of full disclosure for your listeners, um, I worked in Republican politics for many years, but left the party to become a no preference, uh, a no party preference voter and independent over a decade ago. And my my own feeling on this is that there are are, are two obstacles uh, that stand in the Republicans' way. Of well, actually, I take that back. I think the one is one one are the uh, are social issues on which the state tends to lean leftward, most notably abortion and marriage equality. But and I'll defer to both Nancy and Helen on this one. I believe, at least from my political experience, that the issue of immigration. Um, has become a boulder in the road for California Republicans, uh, particularly as voter concerns about crime continue to increase, as voters' concerns about the economy and housing continue to grow. The uh, the opposition party should be in a position to capitalize. Uh, but because this issue is so seminal, not just on a symbolic, but on a real-world level to so many Californians, I'm not suggesting that the California, if California Republicans were to take um, a less confrontational issue 
uh, or position on immigration, the way Schwarzenegger did when he ran for governor in 2003, in 2006. I'm not suggesting that that automatically would make Republican conservative, or excuse me, would make Republicans competitive. But once again, it would remove a boulder from the road, if you will, that would allow them to be heard on these other issues in a way that's just simply not the case. Yeah. And not just for voters from communities of color. But what we found is white voters, millennials and Gen Z, younger voters, just simply don't want to hear any more from a candidate who takes such a dramatically different position than them on such an important issue. Yeah, and it seems like it transcends the uh, the candidate, too, because somebody like Kevin Faulkner, the former mayor of San Diego, he ran for governor in the in the recall, I believe it was, and got no traction whatsoever, uh, even though he, you know, as a border mayor, uh, was very positive about immigration and, you know, very pro-immigrant and so on. It didn't matter. Nancy Yap, you know, so much of the conversation about immigration, illegal and otherwise, uh, focuses on the Latino community, people coming from south of the border. But there are many, many immigrants in California, legal and otherwise, who come from Asia. What uh, what did you see in the poll um, that interests you that reflects, uh, you know, either about attitudes about the Republican Party or this question of, uh, you know, have we gone too far or not far enough? in terms of equal rights and so on, making California a welcoming state. Sure. What's interesting to me actually is just uh, remember, I think to your point, remembering that the Asian and Pacific Islander community is part of this discussion around immigration. So often um, it isn't quite clear or clarified to our communities where we fall into the conversation. And I think that that shows up in a few different ways where there's sort of an evenness and how our community was polling for me is about one um, candidates as well as uh, when we talk about issues, really framing it and how it specifically impacts Asian and Pacific Islander communities, and that we're not all one type of person. Now we're not all one, uh, a monolith in that way. Um, and so how can we start to help people understand what their how they're impacted by the immigration policies that already exist and get engaged in that conversation. And so for me, it's it's that beginning piece of like including us, including us in the data, including us in the conversation. And I think that's why for me, the poll is great just because it includes us. Yeah. And I feel like that's where we're at as a community too. Um, another uh, listener comment here, quite different. If there were a bullet train, as they have in Europe, I could live in Fresno and come to the Bay Area for work and not pay the huge housing cost of the Bay Area. We don't have a housing problem. We have a transportation problem. We need a bullet train connecting low-cost homes to jobs. Uh, although, uh, Dan Schneer, I think many people would argue we need both. And the, well, bullet, that, the bullet train is a whole other topic because it's a mess. And that's yet another hour-long <laughs> conversation. But the but 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 the uh, but the writer makes uh, a really smart point, which is we t- when we talk about housing, we tend to zero in on a very specific discussion. But of course, every policy area is interrelated, and housing and transportation, in particular, are no question part of a, lo- a larger infrastructure conversation. Now, I think most people would rather walk to work, or have a short commute to work than taking a, a, a train for an hour or more. But every single one of these potential policy solutions may be part of, you know, may be part of a of a broader answer. And it's a good reminder that thinking about housing or any policy challenge in a vacuum 
means that we're not fully appreciating or understanding the circumstances that surround it. Yeah, sure. And when it comes to, you know, interrelation, you've got to throw the environment and climate change into that, longer commutes, more carbon uh, emissions and all that. Uh, so yeah, things are things are very much interrelated. All right, I'm going to go back to the phones. And again, the number is 866-733-6786. And let's go to Oakland and Georgia. You're next. Welcome. Yes. Thank you for having this program. It's really, really interesting. Um, I'm a native San Franciscan, and 45 years ago, we moved to Oakland because it was affordable. Well, everything isn't that affordable anymore, but we thought of moving to Austin because we have close family there. But if we did that, we'd lose our Kaiser coverage, and we are really tied to Kaiser. It's like one-stop shopping. So that's essentially what keeps us tied to the Bay Area. Wow, that's interesting. That's so specific. Um, and, and, and are you saying that if there were a Kaiser in Austin, you'd move there? Possibly, yes. Well, there's that heat factor. But <laughs> yeah, we have a son, daughter-in-law, and four grandchildren, and that's a biggie. Yeah, for sure. Um, Helen, when you hear from people in the Latino community about moving, um, where are they thinking of moving to? That's a really good question. I, I got to tell you, among my peers, um, we don't talk about moving. We talk about how do we make the state um, the place that we want to stay, right? We talk about improving. We we have not uh, given up on the state in any way whatsoever. So I I don't, um, you know, what, you know, there's a comparison to Texas and um, the lower cost of living in Texas. But, you know, I think there's also some give and takes as well as of that Texas values perhaps do not always uh, reflect the values that Latinos that have come to love the state and live here um, reflect. But yes, Texas, I hear sometimes, but really the conversation is about how do we improve things? Hmm. And I think that's what makes us unique as Californians. We're innovators, we're individuals that want to tackle uh, problems. And yes, we can be a little bit fed up with the politics of today, but I think it's about looking at the future. And when we have younger people really not only stating that they see a, ver a vision for California that is more inclusive, that protects equal rights, um, that I think is what we need to double down on. Yeah. And I think everything around the economy can be solved. We've done it before, right? We've gone through a tech bubble and we solved for that. We've gone through the housing crisis of um, 20, uh, 2008, and we solved for that. I think this, even though you know it's been in the makings for perhaps 25 plus years of our economic um, decline, I think we still have to solve for this. And yeah. the last thing I would say about that, Scott, is so much of the times that we celebrate the state being the fifth largest economy in the in the world where we really need to celebrate is that people are happy here and that they want to make it work. Those numbers of either decline or growth really mean very little if you're trying to make ends meet at the end of the of the month or you have a vision or you want to be an entrepreneur. Um, and that's where we really need to double down on. Yeah. Georgia, thanks so much for uh, for adding that to the conversation. Dan Schneer, you know, I mentioned at the top that I came to California, it was 19. 
81. And we, I drove through Oregon, and I remember seeing bumper stickers at the time that said, don't Californicate Oregon. And so this is not a new phenomenon, is it? I mean, I think a lot of states resent California for different reasons, including the fact now that people are leaving with, you know, selling their property and, you know, driving up the cost of housing elsewhere. Yeah, like you, Scott, I've, I immigrated here a long time ago. I like to say I wasn't lucky enough to be born in California but I was smart enough to move here. Um, I moved here. I moved here for six months, 33 years ago. And I think it's only in the last couple of years that California, well, I'll, I'll, I'll get onto your question. Uh, what we have seen is your uh, example from Oregon is not unique. And in many of the surrounding states, in Arizona, in Nevada, in Utah, in Oregon, and Washington, we are beginning to see an increased resistance to Californians coming in not necessarily because we come from California, but because it means a larger population for the state. It means more. Uh, it means housing and transportation questions of their own. So I think it has more to do with the influx of people quantitatively than any difference qualitatively. And then on the flip side, of course, we've seen the governors of Florida and Texas, and a few other deep red states who delight in the idea of Californians moving to their state. And that's led to a fairly pronounced, although not always particularly mature, back and forth between <laughs> Governor DeSantis and, and Newsom. Yeah, well, and you know, somebody like Ron DeSantis uh, recording a little video in San Francisco saying this is what happens when you elect liberals. This is Forum. I'm Scott Schaefer in Fermina Kim. Some other listener comments. Uh, I grew up in California. I deeply love the state. However, I have seen how the cost of living has made it so that even very resourceful folks can be in danger of struggling constantly, let alone everyone else. People worry about not being able to have children and feel there's even a realistic chance of homelessness. The insidious part is that this financial strain forces people to work so many hours that social bonds break down. Um, you know, Nancy, I, certainly the pandemic, we've seen increase. There was like a shortage of workers, you know, because people were dropping out of the workforce or, uh, you know, they didn't want to, they could work remotely. Um, and I'm wondering, you know, what are you hearing in the in, in your community, but, you know, down in Southern California generally uh, about this idea of, um, you know, the state just, um, you know, being too expensive, but also like, I, I don't want to commute 90 minutes to work in a Whole Foods. Because, and I say that because my Whole Foods that I go to sometimes, the, the meat counter was shut down because they had nobody to work there. And I think, you know, if you can work in Modesto, like why would you want to drive 90, you know, uh, minutes to San Francisco? Do you see that happening? Uh, I think this goes into like another personal perspective I have on some of the service industry work. Um, I think it's been a really rough three years and uh, we have a very high population of hospitality and service industry folks in the Asian and Pacific Islander communities, as well as small businesses. And so just the change to having to adjust to more virtual, more online, um, and the decrease in being able to staff things is also related to, um, and I've heard a few different small business owners share um, it's one thing to drive 90 minutes to work at a Whole Foods. It's another to then be treated um, disrespectfully at work. And really thinking about the mental health of our state, the mental health of our communities post-COVID. Community and I think intergenerational support has really helped people get through a tough time. 
Um, but when you're really looking at like how we treat one another and the expectations we have, it is impacting our workforce as well. And so I wouldn't just say uh, it's about um, not wanting to work from home or not wanting to be in a service industry job, but also like how we treated what were essential workers um, and just kind of remembering that as we return to more in person, um, that we've all been isolated for a few years. And so I think for me, what I see is that mental health continues to be a really important part of the conversation. Um, but also as more and more people work from home, it does impact the small businesses that were in uh, the centers of our neighborhoods like downtown Los Angeles. Yeah. If people don't return to downtown LA, downtown San Francisco, all of those businesses are going to change um, and likely uh, all of the mom and pops will disappear. Well, and sadly, many, many of them have in downtown San mm -hmm. Francisco. Scott writes, my wife and I are very lucky that we found a small home. It's a lot of work to keep it from collapsing, but it's a slice of something very fundamentally ours that keeps us in the Golden State. The access to different food, culture, geography, and most importantly, progressive mindsets are very big pluses. And then Kate writes, speaking as a queer, white, middle-aged psychologist who works with kids and families, it seems obvious to me, so much so that I'm surprised nobody said it aloud, that when older white people and Asian, Latinx, or black respondents agree that the state is going too far with equal rights, they're likely expressing concern about protections granted to people with queer sexual gender identities, especially trans and non-binary people. I have to tell you, I was in Europe for several weeks uh, in uh, June, and I and I heard this as a very hot topic there as well. So, uh, Dan Schnur, it's not unique to California for sure, or the this country. It's it's happening elsewhere. Well, it is not unique to this country, and in fact, we just saw the governor of the government of Denmark fall this week because of an argument not about LGBTQ-related issues, but because of immigration-related issues. I think it was Netherlands, wasn't it? Netherlands, I'm sorry. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, those Scandinavian countries. <laughs> anyway, but I think more broadly, what we're seeing worldwide is a resurgence of nationalism and isolationism. Um, on economic issues, we see a resurgent protectionism or an era of free trade in both parties in this country and elsewhere seem to, uh, seems to have reversed. And so suspicion of quote unquote the other uh, is something we certainly see in this country, but it's not a uniquely American experience. But once again, I'll point back to something that the poll did discuss as it related to tolerance, particularly in the area of race relations, as Helen correctly mentioned earlier. When we ask people about race relations in their own community, they were extremely positive. Yeah. When we got to leave. I'm sorry, Dan. We got to leave it there because we're out of time. Um, so I, I really apologize for cutting you off in the middle, but I got to go. Um, Dan Schnur, Annenberg School of Communications at USC and UC Berkeley, helped direct this poll. Helen Torres, CEO of Hispanas, Organized for Political Equality. And Nancy Yap, Executive Director of the Center for Asian Americans United for Self-Empowerment. Thank you all very much. Thanks to our listeners for some great calls and comments as well. Scott Schaefer here today for Mina, who returns tomorrow. You've been listening to Forum. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. 
Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.